This is Think Retail, a podcast where top designers, strategists, thought leaders, and business people discuss what's coming next. Hi, I'm Melinda, and you're listening to Think Retail. And today we are recording in the Pure Later podcast studio at the Retail Council of Canada's Store 2019 conference here in Toronto. We all know that fashion changes over time, but what about the business model for fashion retailers? For a long time, it was a simple process. Customers go to a store, try something on, and hopefully make a purchase. However, this is no longer the case, as online shopping and subscription and rental services allow customers to shop from the comfort of their home, while a rise in consumer activism has meant that customers aren't always willing to support a company whose ethics do not match their own. Today, we're speaking with Joe Mimran, the co-founder of iconic fashion brands such as Club Monaco, Joe Fresh, Pink Tartan, Caban, and Alfred Sung about what the future of fashion retail could look like. Welcome, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Um, can you start us off by telling us, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh my God. Anything That's, a, that's a long story. <laughs> I, I, know. I, don't, I don't know if we've got enough time on we this podcast We don't, but what are you doing now? Oh, what I'm doing now. So I'm doing many different things now. I have, there's sort of three uh, legs to sort of what I'm doing. Um, one of them is I have a consulting business. So I consult uh, on a bespoke basis to very large retailers. Uh, so Staples is one of them. Uh, Kroger is another uh, by way of example. And I go in and help them on either repositioning, uh, product development, product sourcing, um, category management processes, anything to do with product design, branding, packaging, I do help them with. Um, but I look at it more from the lens of, uh, from a retail lens of being an actual operator and being an actual product developer sourcing individual as opposed to just coming in, sort of giving a fix and then walking away. Um, so get very hands on and I, and I build a team around uh, around these projects and they usually last anywhere between sort of two years and four years. Okay. So they're they're substantial projects. Great. So that's one leg. Mm-hmm. And? The other leg is uh, Gibraltar Ventures. Uh, I'm chairman of that. It's a venture fund and we invest in early stage companies. Uh, we, we don't invest in pre-revenue so we look at you know different uh, different industries. We started off in the tech industry uh, we started with a few investments there and now we're all we're I think moving more towards consumer facing uh, and we've just made uh, a bunch of different investments there uh, one of them which we uh, took a hundred percent ownership of was uh, Tilly's uh, endurables mm-hmm. Tilly's brand which is a great Canadian brand so we're looking to uh, reposition that company and um, and that's really exciting to have such a a long-standing heritage brand and then and then I'm also involved in the cannabis industry I sit on a couple of boards uh, sit on the uh, canopy rivers board and on the Chiron board and we just bought a company called pivot pharmaceuticals which has some really interesting uh, IP uh, around um, um, the consumption uh, of the CBD oil and how to take the oil and make it uh, more um, I would say bioavailable, and 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 certainly in terms of onset, controlling onset. So they've got. I mean, these are these are great sort of pharmacy guys who've come up with uh, 16 different patents, um, and they're to be used in uh, in in beverages, 
uh, creams, uh, sublinguals, uh, all of it with uh, much more effectiveness than what is currently available in the market. So those are the things I'm involved in now. Wow, that's a, quite a lot of really different stuff. That's so interesting. Yeah, it is. And you're known in Canada, though, for your career in fashion. Yeah. And uh, a big question to start you off with is, what would you say, since you your career started to now, what would you say the biggest change it has been for the fashion retail industry? Well, I mean, there's no doubt that it's been the uh, movement of shopping digitally. Um, and, and that, that has been a tsunami for the industry. You know, it's interesting. Everyone said when, they first, when it first came out that, oh, it's, there's no threat uh, to apparel because apparel people have to touch it, they have to try it on. Yeah. Um, and I think it's the number two spend uh, online is, is apparel. Um, so it's had a, a very, very, uh, I would say, a pretty seismic uh, effect on the industry itself, both, and I think across almost every retail platform, um, all bricks and mortars have been under siege ever since, ever since you know digital has, has come our way. So, and and that's a common theme. I mean, it's just a common theme. So now, so now, what do we do? Right? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that becomes the next big question: is how do you navigate uh, in today's day and age? And where does uh, bricks and mortar play a role? And what about independent brands or brands like M.M. Lafleur or Warby Parker that started online and maybe they open up a little shop here? Yeah. Do you see this as a, a great opportunity for them? Is this a trend that's going to continue? Do you think they're always going to have to then open up that store? Yeah, so native brands have an advantage over bricks and mortar brands because they, the, native, the native brands started their, their consumer sees them as hipper just by virtue of the fact that they started there. Yeah. Um, and what I think a lot of uh, e-commerce businesses find out after a while is that it, it's almost as expensive acquiring a customer through digital as it is through bricks and mortar. Right. So that's the first thing. Uh, there's a sort of an economy there. Uh, you can sometimes uh, if you pay the rent at Yorkdale, you might get more customers by paying that rent than you would by trying to capture them, especially as online is getting far more competitive. Of course, um, yeah. So I think there's that aspect to it. Um, I do think that you will see more and more people from, from sort of the digital world wanting to come into the, into the physical world because they want to manifest their brand physically they want to see it physically i think people want to interact with the brand in a physical way uh, at some point um, the advantage they have is they don't have a legacy of uh, you know thousand stores right. so they can pick and choose their locations much more carefully uh, because they're so um, digital digitally uh, competent their omni-channel is sometimes more evolved than some of the legacy uh, retailers. So they can have smaller stores in many instances. Some of them have opened up showrooms instead of, instead of full, full uh, outlets. So, so they're attacking it from a, a very different perspective than a traditional retailer would. Right. When we're talking about the role of the physical store and we're talking about connecting that, is there something that they should be paying attention to first if they're trying to 
get what these other brands have got just naturally or more organically. Are you referring to the um, physical store, like yeah, the, in the, the, physical the traditional retailers? Exactly. Yeah, so, so, the, so the traditional retailers have a, a bigger challenge. First of all, they've, they've got to deal with the um, portfolio of stores they currently have, right? Mm-hmm. So they've got, to, they've got to deal with that. Then they've got to deal with how do they get themselves up to speed digitally? And then how do they turn themselves into an omni-channel experience? Because at the end of the day, people want to have <clears throat> the seamless experience between physical and, and, uh, and digital. And um, so there's a lot of work they have to do on infrastructure, mm-hmm. and that's the other issue. They're not building infrastructure from a small beginning. They're building, they're trying to change infrastructure for a large corporation or a large group of stores, which is far more difficult and more expensive. Uh, the capital that you've got outlay in one fell swoop versus sort of building as you build, you're building the right, uh, you know, the right infrastructure. So I think, I think it's very interesting because infrastructure is a very big part of being successful as a retailer. You've mm-hmm. got to have the ability to really service your customer, get the inventory to the right store at the right time, the right colors and the right sizes, and all of that has to get done in a seamless way because the consumer today also doesn't want to wait for anything. If they wait more than five seconds, you know that you can lose them. So imagine their attention span has gotten to a five second point in which you can disappoint a customer. How many customers today will go into a department store or go into a large store, not find the service they want, will just plunk their stuff down and leave? Right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And and I think that's the big challenge today. Right. It's like having to go behind the walls and replace all the plumbing and the electricity as opposed to, really difficult. It's sometimes easier to just build a new house than it is to renovate. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Whoever has renovated knows. Yeah. And so you've had experience working within lots of different retail formats, you know, different sizes, different locations, different settings. Are there some common factors that are essential no matter what the format is? Yeah, I mean, the first one is great service. The second one is, is great visual presentation. Uh, the third one is product that resonates with the consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, these, these are all, th- those fundamentals really don't change. With everything that's going on, at the end of the day, it still boils down to the right product in the right place for the right customer. I mean, universal, it never really changes. Yes, there's all this upheaval. I was uh, talking this morning about, um, or maybe not this morning, but anyway, Decium is a great example. When you go into their store, their store, it's not a large store. It's not a uh, particularly, uh, I would say, evolved retail concept. It's not an expensive uh, fixturing model. It's pipe racking, it's got a great message, tiling, but the product's great. The, the, the proposition is unique. Uh, it's almost, because it's not so polished, it actually resonates more with consumers. It's authentic. Uh, it's got all of the right elements to be successful. But those elements haven't changed. Yeah. 
It's easy though to get distracted when there is a lot going on. It's hard sometimes to just remember. Right, what the basic the basic principles of good retailing are. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about a few trends that are happening within the retail industry. One of them is subscriptions or, uh, and yep. subscription and rental. And so, you know, you've been able to rent a luxury gown or purse for quite some time, but now yep. anthropology and urban outfitters and yep. some other yep. more everyday wear are getting in on the action. Um, I wonder what your thoughts are on this topic. Um, well, listen, I think there is a trend that is in the market now, which is about recycle, reuse, uh, anything to do with that trend is it's important it's a big it's becoming a big industry and and people are looking in different ways to uh, try and take advantage of that we have one investment in a company called LXR which sells a vintage handbags online and in store um, and we think it's sort of the perfect uh, green item uh, mm -hmm. to sell because it's it's what you want you, you know it's we're not remaking anything we're not wasting anything nothing's getting destroyed so uh, how do you take these items and and bring them back to life which i think more and more consumers are very interested in uh how people are consuming how we are all consuming and and i think because of that this will continue to be a big trend now renting clothing is not a, a new idea. I mean, Sid Silver used to rent uh, tuxedos 35 mm -hmm. years ago. It's like er everybody thinks, oh, is this such a new idea? Um, and it's, it's really not. It's like now when you see a multi-branded store, people go, oh, yeah, it's a multi-branded store. Well, every store used to be a multi-branded store right. like 40 years ago. It's yeah. kind of funny how, you know, you think things really change but they don't really, I mean, they change, but they don't change. Mm -hmm. And it's always about trying to find the sweet spot. The sweet spot between what the consumer is really looking for and how you can deliver that to the consumer. And everything gets tired over time. Every strategy ultimately fails. Every strategy ultimately fails. So you've got to be always looking for what's new, how do I refresh, how do I connect with the consumer, uh, what's the consumer really looking for? Are they looking for stuff or are they looking for an experience? Are they looking for connection or are they looking for, you know, uh, I don't know, the next bottle of water? Mm -hmm. um, so so I, really, I really think that the consumer is more complex today, but the principles are the same. You, you mentioned environmental concerns and they're becoming more important to today's customer. How important is it for fashion retails specifically to embrace this new sort of yeah. consumer activism is what we're, we're calling it? Yeah, I think um, for, for retailers who are involved in the fast fashion industry, it's a real challenge because mm -hmm. it costs more to be uh, more responsible. And when I say more responsible, I'm talking about at the, at the most extreme end of being more responsible. So this is like closed loop, I'm going to do all my fabrics going to be recycled fabrics. I'm going to ensure that the recycled fabrics are used are from recy recycling of a product that's already been out there. And I'm going to also ensure that my product is recyclable. So th these are th this is a it's an, an expensive process and and I think that fast fashion will have a hard time getting their arms around that if they want to deliver the kinds of pricing that they're currently delivering. Now, most fast fashion companies 
uh, do follow very strict social responsibility. And a lot of consumers don't realize how much work fast fashion companies actually put into that aspect of what they do. They also get a very bad rap because they make clothes in low-wage countries. And Westerners don't believe that anybody should be working at that, that wage level. What they don't understand is if they don't have those clothes to make, then there may be no wages for them. And the fashion industry has always been sort of the wedge for many of these countries to actually lift themselves out of uh, poverty, um, and particularly because uh, women in particular get affected by this because women are the greatest uh, part of the workforce in these countries. But I've seen it, you know, going back to Japan where they used to make clothes and they got too expensive, and then it went to Korea and it got too expensive, then it went to China and now it's getting too expensive and now it's in Bangladesh, and eventually it'll be too expensive in Bangladesh. These countries will pull themselves out, and they do it on the backs of the apparel industry, and the apparel industry takes a, takes a real rap for this. Um, and, and, and yeah, I think social consciousness is a really important aspect. I think we should all take it very seriously and look to improve conditions everywhere. Uh, but consumers will have to pay more if they want to be totally, uh, completely ethical in the way that they perceive their shopping should be. Right. Um, and, and so there's a whole market for that. There's a growing market for that. I believe that there's a big opportunity in that area. And there's a lot of people pursuing it now and doing it quite well. And consumers want, will pay more. Um, and they're happy to pay more. Yeah, well, there's always going to be somebody who wants to buy that, you know, shirt Absolutely. for $15 that they're going to wear the one time to that one party. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And what about technolo technological advances, um, unique recyclable materials? Yeah, there's, 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 a, there's a, a lot of research being done now in that area. There's a company in Canada by the name of Mayant, uh, and, and they do and have been a leader in this area where they're trying to embed technology right into the apparel. Uh, they hold many, many different patents. Um, uh, Tony uh, Chahin, who's the uh, founder of the company, a great entrepreneur, uh, really been steadfast in pursuing that uh, direction. Uh, he's working with some of the great companies of, in the world, uh, like Nike and Lululemon and some of the others in developing products and also working with the uh, industrial industry because he you know he's got clothing that will heat up and very 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 tiny power cells and uh, product that will measure uh, edema in your legs and your and your ankles and um, uh, t-shirts that will be able to take your you know uh, blood uh, your amazing. heart uh, uh, impulses uh, on an ongoing basis um, and so he's developing lots of this product and, and uh, it hasn't taken hold yet. Um, I've seen certain companies try and introduce it. Uh, you've got like smart tech in, in sneakers that they've been talking about, which will measure the number of steps and, and intensity and tiredness and all these things. And, mm -hmm. um, but I still have yet to see it being broadly adopted in clothing.
Right. Um, I think it's coming. I just don't think it's time. Is, I think it's still a bit early. It's like being too early. You know, I was, I started a cannabis company in 2004. It was the first public cannabis company in Canada uh, with myself and two other partners. And uh, what was what was interesting was the market wasn't wasn't having it in 2004. <laughs> It, it morphed into a uh, it morphed into a uh, a biotech business, but um, but timing is everything. Absolutely, timing yeah. is everything. So I'll ask my one last question: Are there any other big trends that you foresee impacting fashion retailers in the near future? Um, I think we've I think we've touched on a lot of them. I think this notion of consumers voting with their wallets on social issues is going to become a stronger and stronger trend. I think uh, younger, uh, the younger generation in particular is going to be very interested in where their dollars, who their dollars are directed to, and, and what good is that company doing both from a social perspective and environmental perspective. And I think that will continue to really become a, a, a huge trend. I do think the influencer trend continues to be uh, getting stronger and stronger. This recent uh, um, deal that Louis Vuitton did with uh, Rihanna and Fenty is really a harbinger of things to come. That will continue to be, I think, a very big trend and will alter branding um, forever. Well, thank you so much for being with us. It's a great conversation and such a pleasure to meet you yeah, and to have you, you join much. us. Thank you. I appreciate it. The right product in the right place for the right customer. It sounds so simple, but we all know how much it takes to get there. One thing I'm really reminded of speaking with Joe, who has really hit home run after home run in his career, is that although trends and new technology change the way brands do business, the fundamental principles of good retail remain the same. I also found it interesting that he believes that every business idea will eventually fail and maybe embracing that uncertainty has been one of the key factors to his success. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Joe. It's too bad we only recorded audio because he didn't disappoint and was dressed impeccably. Thanks for listening. For more information about Think Retail, you can reach us at info at sld.com. For more episodes, visit us online at sld.com slash podcast. Next time we talk about the retail cannabis industry and how brands are creating memorable customer experiences. We hope you'll join us.